back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Joe Concha in for Larry Kudlow. And we got a great guest here. New York Times bestselling author, host of the dedicated, would we call it a podcast, Doug, on Sirius XM, or is that a show at this point? It's, well, it's a podcast. Okay. It's the same thing, I guess, right? <laughs> there really is no I difference. It it's sort of interchangeable. Very good. This is Doug Brunt, and he has written his third book, The Mysterious Case of Rudolf Diesel, Genius, Power, and Deception on the Eve of World War One. And when I picked up your book, Doug, it was kind of by happenstance. I was just basically going to get a water and I think some Altoids or something at Newark Airport. And there it was, prominently featured. And I, I think I texted you when I saw it. I'm like, hey, you got pretty good placement here. You wrote two of my favorite books. And I'm not saying that because you're the interviewee and I'm supposed to make you feel good because we're going to make things comfortable. Because I've told you this, Ghosts of Manhattan, which is not about ghosts, but about a bond trader who was trying to escape Wall Street as his marriage goes south. And The Means, which is one of the great political th- thrillers that you'll, you'll ever read. I'm not going to give away the, the ending, by the way. It was a surprise ending. I I did not see coming, and you got me, so congratulations on that. You're not Bob Woodward in terms of you've written 18 books. These were your first two. Those were bestsellers, but now you go the non-fictional direction. Rudolf Diesel, he's this prominent inventor, businessman, lost at sea in 1913, and no one could definitively conclude whether it was foul play, bad luck, or something different altogether. So what made you want to explore a mystery from more than 110 years ago? Like you, I think, six years ago, I didn't know there was a person behind a diesel engine, but Rudolf Diesel invented it more than 100 years ago. And it has played an enormous role in war and industry to the present day, all through the 20th century. Our global economy is powered by diesel. Everything moves under diesel, every cargo ship, train, truck. Yeah. And he disappeared mysteriously, as you say, on the eve of World War One. It's hard to describe what a big deal it was at the time, because the history of the man has sort of been paved over. It's the reason we don't know the name, but there's a reason why it's been paved over and it's explained in this book, which has been described as the greatest caper of the 20th century. But at the time, it, wow. he was a celebrity. And it was like Elon Musk, to put it in today's terms, like Elon Musk disappearing. And so the newspaper headlines hmm. in New York, the New York Times, the papers in London, Western Europe, all the way out to Russia, were covering the story of this crazy disappearance. Some thought it was suicide, but there were two other theories of murder. One, that he was murdered by Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany, and the other, that he was murdered by John Rockefeller. And they each had a reason, because diesel represented an existential threat to them both. Because by 1913, the diesel engine had emerged as the only power source for a submarine or U-boat. And this is at the height of militarism and nationalism and the Anglo-German naval arms race. So everyone's scrambling for submarine power and diesel power, and he's still the man who can deliver it. And the reason he was crossing the North Sea that day when he was traveling, when he disappeared in the North Sea, was to go start a diesel engine manufacturing company in Great Britain to build diesel engines for the Royal Navy submarine fleet. So the Kaiser didn't want his German citizen going across and helping the British Navy. The reason Rockefeller was viewing diesel as an existential threat was that diesel advocated using fuels other than petroleum. He used a different kind of fuel. It could it was a heavy oil. He could use vegetable oil, nut oil, or even coal tar. And he was in 1912 traveling in, around America saying, I can break the American fuel monopoly, and I don't need a law to do it. I don't need the Sherman Antitrust Act. I can do it with the power of my technology. So he was advocating that if you have farmers, you can grow your own fuel. You don't need to be beholden to petroleum in the ground somewhere else in the world. And actually, that's true to this day. Now, diesel engines that they run on a form of petroleum diesel, but it doesn't have to be the case. Willie Nelson was driving around his tour bus 15 years ago with a diesel engine running recycled kitchen grease, basically vegetable oil. So he was a threat to Rockefeller. That's why papers drew these lines to these potential murder suspects, because the circumstances of his disappearance were just so suspicious and weird. 
That is amazing. And I've read the book. I'm on page 299 right now. And the theories were, as you mentioned, he was a threat to Germany, obviously, for defecting to the British Navy, to America in terms of its energy and its exports in that regard. But also, the theory was that maybe he committed suicide. And, and you make a very good point on page 299, where even small details, such as the strange placement of Rudolph's, and I like the fact you use his first name throughout instead of Diesel, because Diesel's like a Xerox, right? Or a Coke. It's it's a brand. So you personalize it by using his first name. I've noticed that. Rudolph's hat and coat beneath the rail of the stern deck now appeared so contrived as to be less a marker of suicide than a prop for deception. So you mm-hmm. seem to throw suicide out the window and go to the fact that since he was a threat, he probably was murdered. But my question is, did an old boat in Barnegat Bay in New Jersey have anything to do with you wanting to write this story? <laughs> that, that is very true. So I, <laughs> I did not know much about diesel, but I bought an old boat uh, about eight years ago and I was going to need some fixing up. The bigger boat needed to be fixed up. And I was in the boatyard talking to the guy about what I should do with his phone. He said, well, look, the first thing you should do for a boat like this is repower it from gasoline engine to diesel. And so I, of course, was like, well, what is that? I always thought diesel fuel. You know, we pass the word diesel all the time, usually misspelled with a lowercase d. So I just thought it was a fuel option yeah. at the fueling station. He said 100% of boat fires come from gasoline engines, zero from diesel. The fuel efficiency is greater. So you've got three, four times the range on your, on your tank of fuel. There's zero fumes, you know, and you can drop a lit match into a barrel of diesel fuel. Nothing will happen. Uh, and it's, it's just not a flammable fuel, and the engine doesn't even require a spark. So it's just a better engine, particularly for marine use. And so then I, that was my first exposure to diesel. And then I was, as you know, I'm a, a novelist in the past. And I was kicking around the Internet looking for ideas that might spark something for me on a, on a new book. And I came across this list of mysterious disappearances at sea. And on the list was Rudolph Diesel. So off I went. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. How does one solve a mystery from 1913 during a time where, you know, there's not a Google machine to make doing research infinitely easier? So did you do all the research yourself? With my book, I did. And that was my favorite part of of writing my first book and now my second, which is almost done. But you're trying to solve a mystery based on basically going, I would imagine, to libraries and going through old newspaper articles and trying to put together dots in a puzzle where you can't even speak to any witnesses or anybody who was around at the time. So, So how did you pull this off? Well, in some ways, doing research on a story from 1913 is even easier now than it would have been in the 20s or 30s or even a few years ago, because the newspaper archives are, are very available in databases. So much is scanned and more is scanned every day. So I can look at their, the newspaper reporting in the weeks after his disappearance. It was a flurry of activity, and there was so much contradictory reporting, but there's lots of testimony captured in the, in the newspaper. So I can find out what's happening in Berlin, London, Munich, New York all in doing what I would call library research. You know, some of these databases require subscriptions, some don't, but you can find out so much from the newspapers, whereas, you know, 100 years ago, you have to be pulling, pulling filing cabinets out in different cities around the world. So in that sense, it was easier to track the newspaper reporting. But there are a number of archives that have kept some of his personal material and his business documents and his letters. And I, uh, I did do all the research myself, which I, like you, I love. It's like the geeky side of Indiana Jones. <laughs> 
And uh, a lot of it was in German. So I went back to my old high school and found a German professor, and he translated reams of material for me from German to English, which was very helpful and added a real personal touch because he was a beautiful writer and he had beautiful letters to his wife and family. Great job with this. I mean, it, it seems like such a passion project. And for everybody out there, the mysterious case of Rudolf Diesel. If you want the ultimate escapism outside of sports, this is absolutely it. Go buy it wherever books are sold. And, and Douglas Brown, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Joe, thank you. Great to be with you. Absolutely. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. We'll be back with more in just a moment.